Okay. Hello and welcome to this episode of Wise Human. Today I have with me a guest that I'm really excited to speak with. His name is William Wales and he grew up as a part of the Jehovah's Witness Church. Is it a church? Yeah, yeah, you could call it a church. Okay. <laughs> and yeah, his journey with that and realizing it wasn't for him and leaving it. So welcome, Will. Hello. Thank you for joining today. Let's just dive right in. Do you want to get started with telling us what Jehovah's Witnesses are? I think on their surface, Jehovah's Witnesses are um, view themselves at least as a Christian religion. I guess if you're not super familiar with it, they hold a lot of the kind of familial beliefs with Catholicism, um, and, you know, Baptist, not really Mormon, but yeah, Baptist, Protestant, Catholic, um, they believe in Jesus and God and, uh, their branches or their viewpoints start to take kind of a left turn towards the end. Um, they believe some more interesting things and the kind of the way they get there is a little odd. Um, they are pretty widely also known as a cult which I think if you do one of those little checkbox things on the internet where is it a cult, it, it hits almost all of the checkboxes, um, which I think gives it a very negative, uh, very negative spin. And for the most part, rightly so, I would say that it, it deserves a lot of that negative criticism that it gets sometimes. Um, they believe, uh, they believe that God is going to, after Armageddon, reform Earth into a an earthly paradise for them to live. And they think that everyone on Earth will be killed except for them. And then they're going to get to just live rent-free on Earth forever with uh, under God and the anointed, they think... Um, so there is kind of an interesting thing where they think that the leaders of the church are appointed by God. So there's this thing called the governing body and they were destined by Jesus that came back and anointed them as like his, uh, what do they call it? The faithful and discreet slave they're called. I did have to look that one up the faithful and discreet slave. And they are essentially the, the voice piece of Jesus in the, in the modern religion that's only been around since 1874. And then it was kind of reformed into Jehovah's witnesses in 19, it was like 1913, 1919. There's a lot of, there's a lot of dates and they, it, it was sometime in the early um, 20, you know, 21st century that they kind of brought it down. Um, 20th century. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of weird stuff. <laughs> so they you don't were believe born into it. Um, more or less. Uh, so I was born in a small town up north in, uh, lower peninsula michigan and my mom was non-practicing uh but she had 
went on and off for a while, for a couple of years. Um, and I think that, so initially she was not going and then my parents got divorced when I was less than a year old, like one year old, something like that. Um, and she was a single mother working as a waitress in a small town in Michigan. So she didn't, um, have a lot of people know a lot of people. And I think that the witnesses for all the negatives that can come along with it, the social, um, sort of inclusiveness can be very beneficial for something like that. Right. Like I think that she, um, sort of needed that as a, you know, she was, God, my mom is, let's see. So she's 53 now. So she was, you know, 20, 21 at this time. Um, and so, yeah, like the church was sort of a, a refuge for her because they would pick her up and take her to church and they would, you know, invite her over for dinner and bring her diapers or all the other things that, that like, there was all the benefits that came along with it. So I think that she, um, you know, didn't use that, but it was definitely didn't hurt, I guess, <laughs> coming in. Part yeah, part of it. And then she, uh, she met my dad when, well, so I call him my dad. He's, he adopted me. I, for all intents and purposes, I, in every aspect of my life, he kind of served as my biological father. Um, when I was four and then they got married a year later and then we moved to Traverse City. Uh, and he was, he's like a generational born and bred witness. And that was, they've never said it in this plane of terms, but I think that was kind of part of the terms is, you know, I'm a, I'm a Jehovah's witness. We are going to be Jehovah's witnesses. We are going to live in a Jehovah's witness sort of ordained household, um, which she must've agreed with because then they, uh, got married and moved to Traverse City. It was, and that was that. And then I grew up from there and went, but, um, no, it was definitely interesting, uh, kind of starting out like that. And that was kind of her, her push into the religion. Um, and then they're both, they're both still in right now. What was it like growing up as a witness and I know that you guys don't celebrate holidays and you went to a traditional school. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's actually how we got on the subject of this podcast initially as we were talking about Christmas. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So, <laughs> so growing up was hard. Um, I didn't think I realized, I think I had different um, sort of, beefs with it now than I did when I was a kid. When I was a kid, it was because you were missing out on a lot. Um, so as witnesses in the, in the sort of social, um, aspect of it, you're, you're kind of a pariah. Like you can't go to birthday parties you don't do christmas so when people are asking you like oh what'd you get for christmas what'd you get for your birthday and it was like well nothing and then inevitably kids are always going to ask well why didn't you get anything for christmas or why didn't you get anything for your birthday and just having to justify 
or defend things that you didn't really understand at, you know, five, six, 10 years old. Um, you have the verbiage for it because that's what your parents tell you to say, but I don't think you really get it or understand it at that age. So it was mentally, I remember it being very tough. Um, they do the, so in my school, which I think they still do this, but they do the Pledge of Allegiance every morning. Um, well, witnesses think that they are sort of sidestepped from the government of any worthly or earthly origin. So I couldn't do the Pledge of Allegiance. So then you're the weird kid in class that won't put his hand on his chest and people think you're un-American or your parents are terrorists or something because you won't put your hand on your for something so simple right and it's like the pledge of allegiance doesn't mean anything to those kids either it doesn't mean anything to the teacher it doesn't mean anything to anyone but to socially stand out because you can't do it it was uh it was it was interesting uh, birthday parties i'd go sit in the hall couldn't eat any of the cupcakes couldn't watch them blow out the candles couldn't even tell them happy birthday I would just take my homework and go sit in the hall, which I'm in, you know, I'm in a grade with 200 kids. Somebody's got a birthday like every other day. Mm -hmm. So there was a lot of that going on. Um, couldn't really, uh, so I, I would say young age in school, particularly, um, it didn't didn't help make or maintain friends, which is kind of what they want. They it's, it's a very socially isolating experience because anyone that's not part of the church is considered worldly. They use the, the term worldly and by worldly, what they really mean is a negative influence. It's, you know, they don't want you hanging out with these people because everything everything to witnesses and this is kind of garnered through the material they give you what they let you read what they let you watch is all engineered to give you this fear of the world almost like as a kid you are kind of you think that satan himself is just lurking outside your door and could be in the most innocuous little thing it's like i couldn't read harry potter growing up which granted even as an adult i don't like harry potter but i couldn't read it you know it, it was like yeah. you weren't you weren't allowed to read it because it had magic in it and magic is evil you know yeah, witches right. are evil and they're satanic you're not allowed to sort of indulge in those things as you know even uh, like disney movies that had magic in them. I couldn't watch Aladdin growing up because I had a genie in it. It's like, wow. right. Who does that? <laughs> um, wasn't allowed to play sports uh, because What's it was, Go ahead. it was unnecessary contact with worldly individuals. Like it was, I wasn't allowed to go to like extracurricular activities after school. Um, I never went to a school dance or anything like that because it was like, if you, 
it was almost like custody. Like if you didn't have to be there, I was not there. Um, I remember one of the, the, um, sports teacher. I think he taught, I think he taught volleyball for the girls, but he taught basketball for the boys. Um, and I shot up, I was like, one of the tallest kids in my grade in like seventh grade, I was like almost six feet tall. So they were like, this guy drove to my parents' house to try to convince them to let me to play basketball because during the school days on lunch or like briefly afterward, if I was like waiting for the bus or beforehand or whatever, I always like, I played a ton of basketball growing up and I would always be playing with these kids and they were like, why are you not on the basketball team? I was like, oh, you know, I can, my parents won't let me blah, blah, blah. Cause I just, it was an angsty little kid, right? Like I didn't really know why I couldn't play sports. And he, because I wouldn't join the team through sort of school means he, he physically drove to my parents' house and was like, we want your kid to play basketball. And they were like, no, he's not going to, I couldn't, couldn't play football. couldn't play basketball. But so that was tough too, you know, um, dating was, well, I mean, you always have like your girlfriend and, you know, fourth grade and you guys hold hands on the bus or whatever. But even that, it was like, you know, she would call my house and if my parents answered, they would just hang up on her. Like, you can't, can't date. What are you talking about? You know? And so that was kind of rough. I do remember a couple of times sneaking over to there was a couple kids that lived like right in the, right in the neighborhood. And I would sneak over to their house. And then after I would go back to the school and call my mom and say, Oh, I missed the bus. Can you come pick me up? So it was like, you know, 45 minutes or an hour later. And then she would come get me and I would be at the school again, you know, like I was supposed to be. Um, so I think at a very young age, that was, that was interesting and they really work to to fill that time that you're not doing those things with bible-based activities i guess i would call them or not you know they keep you busy enough to distract you from the fact on you know what you're missing out on as a kid i guess it sounds like you you weren't allowed to hang out with anybody but the church and they packed your schedule with well trying to keep you in those beliefs right it was like was it ever just like fun things like a barbecue or was it always bible related oh yeah no they did um it is sort of like it's a community right they definitely give it that veneer that aspect and it in for what it is it is an entire social community right you have everyone from your church and then i had you know so i was hanging i was hanging out with people a lot you know i would go over to somebody's house but it was always somebody from the church it was never some random person from school or some friend i met it was 100 percent of the time it was always somebody from our church another witness church because they, you know, you kind of meet people from the various churches and it was absolutely 100% of the time. Those are the only people we hung out with 
was people that were also witnesses. Um, and we did, you know, we had barbecues. I'd go over my, uh, my aunt and uncle, both of my aunt and uncles actually. So my dad that lives in Traverse has two sisters. Um, and both of them lived fairly close and I was good friends with all of their kids and, um, a lot of other people that were in our, so they call it a congregation is their congregation. So I was friends with a lot of people in our congregation. There was a lot of kids around my age and, you know, kind of the various age groups. So yeah, we would hang out, we'd play video games. We would, you know, go on bike rides. I made a lot of tree forts and we play sport like we'd play basketball and stuff like it, it was there was quite a bit of that i i'm not saying that i you know got stuck in a room for 12 hours a day and would just with my nose in the bible like it, it really wasn't like that it was there was a lot of socializing and there was a lot of positive activities that would happen you know like absolutely um being said like it was a very heavy schedule for bible related activities as well um so i think they've actually changed this recently but when i was growing up you had church three times a week and all three of those you had to study for so Generally, there was another night of the week that was studying for X meeting that you were going to. So it was like um, Monday night, you would study for the Tuesday night meeting. Wednesday night, you would study for the Thursday night meeting. And Friday or Saturday night, you would study for the Sunday meeting. And all of these are not quick turnarounds either. So Thursday and Sunday were both two hours and then you had like an hour long Bible study meeting on another night of the week. And you would spend several hours studying for those because there was like questions and answers and, you know, people gave talks. You were, you were sort of required to study the subjects that were being gone over for the next day's material. And it's like the Bible's 2000 years old how many times can we possibly study it but they were always pumping out new stuff um and then they have uh door-to-door -door, you know the people that like knock on your doors and ask mm -hmm. you if you want to learn about jesus yeah that, that's jehovah's witnesses most of the time um and they require you to do that uh so there's like different <laughs> memberships i'm gonna call them memberships kind of in jest but there's like subscriptions that you can get up to and you can sort of promise to do um sets amount of hours during the month so there are people out there today that are dedicating like 70 to 90 hours a month minimum and they like track this and turn it in every month of going out and knocking on people's doors for, which is absolutely insane um and on average so that's what we did every saturday morning because my dad worked full-time um so it wasn't like we were going out during the week although people did this they there were groups going out every single day of the week seven days a week they would get together at the church they would pack into somebody's car and they would just drive around and 
<laughs> knock on people's doors. Uh, so it was every Saturday morning at 8 a.m. I was getting out of bed and getting dressed and going to church. So it was, yeah, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday. And then the other days I was studying. So, I mean, there was, they keep you busy and they do it on purpose, right? Though, because they, they want to fill your lives as much as possible. They don't want you thinking about things outside of that. They don't want you sort of devil hand or idle hands is the devil's work. Maybe they just take that to heart. And they're like, well, we're not going to give them idle hands. We'll give them as much shit to do as possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You didn't have time to play sports or right? have I, friends really because you were so busy with the church. Right. What growing up, when did you kind of think something's not right here? Were there specific events that happened? Was it a lot of small things that came to a head? There, there were a lot of times growing up that I was unhappy that I had to do these things, I think. Well, not I think. I know. I know I was very unhappy having to do these things a lot of the time. And I don't think initially that those came from a place of disbelief or kind of the indoctrination wearing off. It was just, I was a kid and I was, I didn't want to go to church three times a week, you know, Sunday or Saturday morning. I didn't want to go out in service. I wanted to watch cartoons and sit on the couch. Like, you know, so I think initially there was, is definitely as a kid, I remember a lot of friction, um, with my parents having to be like, no, you're going to do this. You're going to do this. You're going to do this. And then this and this, and it's like, but something wrong. No, I didn't have a clue. That's the only thing I'd ever, it's the only thing I'd ever known. Right. Like I grew up with that. And my parents both did that. All my extended family on my dad's side were witnesses. They just accept it blanket as fact. Right. Jehovah's Witnesses are the true religion, just like the sky is blue and grass is green. Like there is no variance in this fact-finding mission, right? Like just you can run all of those things together, and that's kind of what it is. Um, I think that breaking away kind of started with that. It started with a growing restlessness and realizing that I was getting older and I was like, I couldn't see myself doing this all the time. It's like, you know, I'm 14. I remember getting my license and I was so excited to get my license because I was, you know, 15. I had just gotten my learner's permit or whatever in 16 and these, you know, freedom on wheels kind of thing. And it was like, well, great. I can drive myself to church three times a week. Like, I don't want to do this either. Um, and I did get, started to get in trouble more, um, kind of, you know, growing up, I think you're a teenage boy, your kids are going to get in trouble, you know, kids are going to do things. And when I started to get in trouble, I started to realize how 
hard they sort of bring the hammer down on stuff like that because I never saw that as a kid you know I was 11 or 12 I wasn't I, w- I was a good kid I want to say I was a good kid I think I was a good kid um but when you start to act out a little bit just realizing when they clamp down on that behavior and then starting to think well why do they clamp down on this particular behavior or why do they sort of take these steps and how I don't want to say viciously but like how aggressively they sort of come after that kind of makes you think why are they doing that right like why are they trying to discipline me for just being a teenager right um could you give an example of an experience that you or somebody else went through and what the process was (laughs) in the discipline uh Yes, I can give a couple. Um, so, uh, like drinking, or I remember playing. I remember. Hmm, so we we talked about like magic being very taboo for witnesses, right? Like it's you know you can't do anything like that. And I remember having a couple video games that. I had to be so sneaky with these. I would take them and put them in the garage when I was done playing them. I would like hide them up on the shelf in the garage and I would only take them out and bring them in my room late at night and, you know, stay up and play video games. Cause it was like, you couldn't have these things in the house. Right. And I remember my mom found a couple of these video games and my uncle had been staying with us and he wasn't a witness and then he moved back out again but he had kind of gotten me on he's like oh, no these are good games you can play these and he goes of course they're not i think it was like metal gear solid and all these like world of warcraft type games you know and uh i remember my mom had found him and just freaked out and the interesting thing about disciplining for witnesses is some discipline can get it's sort of uh, left to the parents as far as they feel is necessary, but anything that can damage your spirituality or your connection with Jehovah God, they will take to these um, sort of overseers that are called elders in the church. And then there's, various ranks of these elders and circuit overseers and presiding overseers. And they, they organize these things called like judicial committees. And all they do is decide what this person did. If they are um, sort of remiss about their issue, like, did they, you know, are they um, sorry they did it? And then they will, say, okay, nothing happens. You get a slap on the wrist. You can get temporarily sort of publicly rebuked in the church, which is way over the top. And they can straight up disfellowship you, it's called, which is essentially socially shun you from the church. Like they, you get no privileges inside the church and people are literally not allowed to talk to you. Um, and it wasn't... It wasn't that I have been reproved before, but it, it wasn't like the video games and stuff like that. But I literally had to go 
sit in a room with a couple of old dudes, elders, I'll call them old dudes though, because they are, and tell them in detail, like, oh, what are these games about? What am I doing? Why am I playing them? Do I not love God? Like, why would I, you know, intentionally bring these things into my house? Am I trying to kill myself and my parents because of all this stuff? And um, I don't, and you know, there's a lot of sort of abuse cases and these other things that are all over the news a lot of the time where it's like they never needed to go to these people at the church, right? Like the church has no bearing on my family. It has no right really to tell my parents how they should discipline me as a child. Um, I don't know, maybe you need to snap, slap like an NSFW sticker on this one or whatever, but 13 year old me, 14 year old me, however, um, does things that 13 or 14 year old boys do, I guess you could call it that. And I also didn't know how the internet or computers worked. So my mom had to find me Googling boobs on Google in 2002, which was, you know, just JPEG images. Loading up. <laughs> and she told the elders and I had to go and tell these elders, why was I looking it up? What was I looking it up? Details of what I was looking up. Did I, you know, did I masturbate? Did I it's like, why, why would I have to tell you this? You know, this is insane. Mm -hmm. And I got reproved, publicly rebuked. They didn't say what I did, but they're like, got up on stage during church in front of a hundred people that I am close with, known my entire life. And it was like, wow, wow, William Wales is publicly reproved. Okay, great. And then you have to sort of show your willingness of spirit and your remorse, which I wasn't, but you know, you have to show your remorse for this before they'll kind of let you back in. And until then you are, you're not allowed to do like any of the volunteer duties around the church. You can't do anything like that. You just have to go home and study the Bible really hard to kind of get back in God's good graces. Um, it was not really a positive experience. I, uh, I think after I turned 16 and got my license it was sort of the beginning of the end, that sort of additional lease of freedom. Um, I really started kind of pushing the Browns of bounds of, um, you know, going out, hanging out with people where I started drinking a little bit. Um, started to kind of hang out with people that weren't really witnesses anymore. Um, there was a couple older people, a couple years older than me, not old by any means, maybe like 18, 19, and that I had been friends with, but they had left. You know, they'd gotten kicked out. They were disfellowshipped or whatever um, and started hanging out with them a little bit. And... Yeah, that was sort of a big transition of, of the kind of downhill slide of of not wanting to be part of it anymore. But even then, even at, you know, 16, 
I wasn't not doing these things because I didn't think that God was real or paradise was real or that their beliefs weren't insane, right? I just didn't want to go because there's other stuff I wanted to do. Um, yeah, sorry, I lost my thought just for a second. <laughs> So you started hanging out with friends that had left the community and that kind of opened your eyes more. That was the beginning when you got your license and your freedom and you started hanging out with these people to leaving the church, but it wasn't necessarily because things in the church, it was more you wanted your freedom. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely it started as kind of a freedom-based thing. Uh I remember going to a, I took dance classes at the, the local college in, in Travers and I ended up going with this girl that was no longer a witness, staying out late, going to dance classes with a bunch of, you know, essentially college students was, you know, kind of an eye opening experience as well. And I was a very grateful that you know i had these people that were trying to sort of save me or pull me out you know like the witnesses were trying to save my soul and these people were trying to save my my real soul like my livelihood you know like my personal interest um and then but it was it was very slow going um there's a a term that gets bounced around on kind of you know like reddit and some other places where where ex jehovah's witnesses will talk and there's a it's called pimo i'm not sure if they acronym it any more than that but it's physically and mentally out and there's a lot of people that are sort of stuck in this status because there is nowhere socially to go if you're not willing to essentially drop everything you've ever had in your life, especially, you know, for somebody like me that grew up in it, I didn't know anyone that weren't, hadn't been, or was currently a witness. I didn't know anybody. I had no friends outside of that. I had no social network. My life was entirely reliant on the witnesses. Um, which is a good reason to stay right that's part and of they keep you there i think that it's engineered that way they you know like we talked about how they keep you busy they don't want you to sort of easily be able to step out of that uh, i had my older she was like a second or third cousin that had left when i was maybe before this maybe like 14 or 15 um, she had left the church, got disfellowshipped, disappeared from everybody's lives. And maybe six months later, she came back and I remember talking to her and I was like, why did you, why did you come back? Like, you know, and I didn't, this, I was young enough. I was still like 15. So I was still kind of unconsciously happy or unhappy, but didn't really know. And I was like, you know, what happened? And she was like, there's I didn't have anywhere to go, right? Like I didn't, I didn't know anyone. I, you know, I barely could afford a place to live. She just ended up coming back. Um, and so when I was 
getting older, 16, 17, 18. Uh, I was gone by the time I was 18, but kind of 16 to 18 were a, a very slow of like, you know, I would miss an occasional meeting here or there, didn't really go out and service anymore, um, didn't really study at all. I would just show up to the meeting, you know, right on time. And then I would leave as soon as it was over. Um, I would say I was very much physically still in, but mentally kind of checking out at that point. And uh, even when I left, so me leaving too was not a big planned event. It wasn't, um, you know, like I found a place and packed a bunch of stuff up and kind of went, I remember having this and I can't even remember what it was about now. It was so long ago, but I remember having this big blowout argument with my parents and it was something, something to do with like, I wasn't essentially, I think I told them I wasn't going to church or something like, you know, there was, there was some sort of blow up argument. And I remember just packing a duffel bag of stuff and was like, well, I'm out of here, you know, gotten my newfound freedom car and drove to this guy's house that he was part of their church, but he was not really a great witness. <laughs> like I was friends with him. He'd been in trouble a bunch of times. He was a little bit older guy. Um, but I crashed on his couch for maybe three or four months. Um, and an absolute saint for letting me stay there. You know, because but because I literally had nowhere else to go, and I never stepped foot in a meeting after that, um, which is kind of what I wanted. But I, aside from hanging out with him when I was there, I tried to spend as much time as I could not there. Um, I had no one, right? Like, other than the few people I had met, I had met absolutely nobody else because that's all I had. Um, when you leave, are you excommunicated? Are pe members of the church not supposed to speak to you anymore? So you can go through uh, a process to sort of be removed. Um, you can either willingly or unwillingly. And I am what they consider disassociated. Um so I never went back. So I never kind of got in trouble for not going. Um, I just kind of disappeared. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's very well known in my parents' church, I guess, that I am considered like a bad influence, right? Like people wouldn't want to hang out with me. No, no witness that I grew up with would choose to associate with me. They might say hi if I walked past them and kept direct eye contact and stared at them as they walked <laughs> by. They might, you know, they might say hi to me. Um, I have ran into a couple people over the years that I knew when I was younger. Um, and they're courteous, but they won't, they won't engage in a relationship with me any further than that. Um, and, and that's, that's what's expected. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, that in that sort of a, a system wide belief that you're considered, you are worse than worldly at that point. 
because you were you part of the all. church, right? You had it and then you choose to left to leave it. And they think that when someone chooses to leave it, well, you know, it must be Satan having a bad influence on them. If we socially shun him enough, that will shame them into coming back. It's supposed to be isolating because if they all continue to talk to you, why would anybody that left ever come back? Because they, you know, they've sort of had their pie and ate it too. They got to leave and they got to keep all the connections they made in the church. And it's like, that's, that's not what they want. They want you specifically to be isolated, to, to, be forced to take that measure to either come back and commit to it or remain isolated. Um, and having said that, it's like, it takes a long time to get those things from scratch, right? Like if you don't have that, it's like I was working a, a shitty job, trying to find an apartment. I remember I ended up going out with this girl that I had met through what little few friends I had managed to make. Um, and then living with her because she lived with her parents. And I don't think it was a relationship that I really wanted to be in because she was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> This is not a podcast about this girl, but there could be one because she was just (laughs) Satan incarnate, but her parents are some of the kindest, most wonderful people I've ever met. Like they were, I remember her mom was super sweet. And when she found out that my parents were witnesses and kind of like what I was going through, um, this couple like essentially adopted me for like two years. Um, I had my first Christmas there, my first Thanksgiving there. Uh, you know, they were very, very sweet, nice people, just genuinely nice people. Right. And kind of the people that you were told did not exist outside of witnesses right? I was like, wow, you didn't try to inject me with witch blood or anything. Like what is, what's going on? You know, you're just totally normal, nice people. Um, which was kind of a surprise and not really, I mean, it was kind of a surprise, but it, and it, I started to see that more and more, right? Like I, I met a, a few friends. I started to gain sort of a small social group. Um, you know, and, and, and this girl's parents. And it was like, I started to realize that people are normal for, you know, there, there's still some weirdos out there, but an overwhelming majority of people are kind and will help you and are not trying to pollute your mind with, you know, satanic rituals. Like it's a totally normal world out there that people live in. And after that I think is when it had stopped being teenage angst about freedom. And it was like, wow, did I just get out of a cult? Like what happened? You know, you kind of, the the visor kind of comes off the eyes and you're like, where, where, how is this normal now? You know? Um, 
Yeah, like you said, you didn't know anything else. So once you could step outside of it and have a different perspective, I'm sure that changed a lot. It, yeah, it really did. Um, it's kind of looking back on these people that I didn't miss out on the relationships that I could have had with, you know, like some people I grew up with. And sometimes even now, like, you know, I'll hear like, I'm still relatively close with my parents. Um, they're kind of rebels. So somebody from the Watchtower and Bible Track Society, listen to this. Sorry, my parents are totally rule abiding citizens. <laughs> um, but no, they, uh, they'll tell me, you know, people I grew up with that got married, had kids, but they're still in the church. You know, they're still, they're still witnesses. They would never talk to me. And it's, and it's sad because I don't have any friends like that. Um, my, like 16. Yeah. You know, it's like, uh, my wife will hang out with her friends and they've been friends since elementary school or they, you know, met in high school together and I just, you know, played sports together, all this stuff. And it's, kind of something that I never, never had, never will have. Um, and it kind of does make you feel like you missed out on a lot. Um, I think that for a long time after I left, I went through several phases of kind of anger and resentment about not only missing out on these things as a child anger that I couldn't associate with these people now eventually turned to anger that I wasted 17 years of my life doing this when it's all a crock of shit <laughs> anger that this system still exists right that people to this day are stuck in this and have no if they don't have any idea they're stuck socially or they're stuck physically or they're a partner that can't leave because their significant other is in this, you know, and it's like, I, if I was to hold on to anything now, I still think there's a lot of, still a lot of anger towards witnesses in general not anyone i grew up with not with my parents not with the specific church that i went to but just in general as a sort of association they are just evil <laughs> like they're trying to save you from evil but they are evil um and what makes you say that what are like a few of the main pieces negative pieces that make you say that I don't think any religion deserves to be all encompassing in someone's life like that I think that faith is a very powerful thing and I don't have any issue at all with religion as a whole 
I think it brings a lot of comfort and security to people's lives. I think that no one really knows, right? I can't say for sure one way or the other. I can't um, disregard anyone's beliefs. I don't have an issue with that, but I think when it's presented in such a way or it's utilized as a weapon for control over specific groups of people or for when it's used for control by people to control other people, it very, it very quickly slides into a negative. Um, and they have become very proficient at controlling every aspect of witnesses' lives. The literature that they read, the videos that they watch, the people they associate with, down to how they think and spend their time is all controlled by witnesses, right? Or by this self-appointed governing body that is the voice piece of Jesus, right? Um, they just churn out this, and I'll call it propaganda because that's what it is. They make these fear-mongering videos and send them out to their to their base to sort of harness that fear and make them feel like the entire world is against them or that they are going to be persecuted the moment they step out the door for things that, to be honest, nobody really gives a shit about. Right? Like, <laughs> I remember watching this, uh, not when I was in the witnesses, but, but recently I had stumbled across this clip where they talk, it's this, it's a video that the, the witnesses put out and they have an entire film department, literature department, think tank department, where they sort of sit in a room and say, okay, you know, what totally normal thing do we want to attack next? And it's this video and it's, it's kind of like a skit. They make these sort of very professionally done skits. And this girl is in a, just a regular department store, right? And there's some LGBT charity that gives out these little rainbow bracelets, which is, you know, normal. It's charities, events, cash registers, whatever. And the girl declines the bracelet, but she does make it kind of weird because this is a witness video. So she's like, oh no, you know, and then she looks at it very longingly. Um, and the woman behind her in line starts like verbally attacking her. Like, why don't you want the bracelet? Do you have anything against gay people? Like what's going on with you? And like the whole store is turning and looking at her and it's like, Hey, that would never fucking happen in real life. <laughs> yeah. Right. If you don't want the bracelet, Overly no dramatic. one, absolutely no one gives a shit. If you don't want the bracelet. Right. Mm -hmm. But the whole thing of this video and it's, it's literally how well, she can't take the LG and she's like, well, I'm a Jehovah's witness and blah, 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 blah. And the girl, and then the, know, the video goes on and then it ends. But it's like the theme of these videos is 
that the world is out to get you, right? Like, be no part of the world, I think is something like one of the quotes from there. And it's like every single thing about them is engineered in this fear bubble, right? Like, it's just to keep you contained and to make you think that the world is just the absolute worst thing that can exist. And if you stutch a toe out in the world, you're going to be lobbed off by Satan, you know? Yeah. A lot of the stuff that you were just describing sounds very familiar or very similar to abusive relationships where you isolate the person. So they have no support, no community. You control what they can do, who they can see, where they can go so that they become completely dependent on you. And like you said, like with your cousin, you leave, you try to leave, but you have nothing, nothing to stand on, no foundation, nowhere to go, no one to take you in, maybe even no skills. And so then you go back. Yeah. I mean, I think it probably could be equated to an abusive relationship. I mean, it, it, it sort of has the same overlay of, yeah, that controlling behavior and sort of bringing you in. Um, I was going on about the beliefs and then I got way distracted in the left turn. <laughs> um, some of the other, like they think that uh, Armageddon is a big one. I think a lot of the the sort of Christian religions have very um, recurring themes, revelations and the second coming of Jesus and all these kind of things crazy things about how they think the world's going to end so they don't actually have to recycle because you know god's going to clean it up um and they think that armageddon is like tomorrow like they are actively planning and part of and part of that which is also part of kind of the fear part of it is they think that the government is going to turn on them and that they are going to be hunted down and I don't know, killed by the government, not allowed to practice anymore. Um, and so they keep predicting this end of the world thing at like half a dozen times. There's a bunch of numbers out there. I think it was like 1913, 1914, 1919, 1925, 1975. And now I think they just gave up and it's like, well, okay, well, Armageddon could be as soon as possible. Amen. So just be ready yeah any minute they are just sitting there looking at their watch waiting for it to happen and some of the biggest the big picture things whatever every religion is all over the place right like they can they can believe whatever they want to i don't any religion can believe whatever they want to anybody can believe anybody they want to um they have this very big kind of superiority complex thing going on where they are right somehow everyone else is wrong and if you don't believe what they believe they feel sorry for you right like they they're like wow you can't see the light you know like they that's why they try to show everybody the light because they cannot even fathom the idea that they could not have all the facts absolutely correct all the time they take the bible very literally um very old world 
kind of conservative mentality that definitely does not fit in a my lifestyle or b any sort of modern society at all uh women are just almost completely disregarded they're not allowed in leadership roles all women are subject to their husbands um you can't leave your husband without being disfellowshipped so he could be beating you every day and if you disfellowship or if you divorce him you would get disfellowshipped um what if he divorces you he would probably get disfellowshipped yeah but there's but it's like but it's very male skewed right like Mm -hmm. they have um uh, women have to wear a, a head covering if a baptized male is in the room and they're like going to pray or study or something like women have to have a head covering on to sort of respect the authority of the baptized male that's in the room um they hate is a very strong term but they really do not like lgbt anything like that the 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 bible says it's a man and a woman anything else period end quote right like that's it there's not not acceptable at all um did you know anybody in the when you were a part of the witnesses that was gay or lesbian or transgender anything like that and ended up leaving well they're very big on pray the gay away Mm -hmm. um so I actually knew two different people, um, and they sort of had very different stories coming back to it. Uh, so there was this older guy in the congregation that was a hundred percent gay. Like he had gotten disfellowshipped for fooling around with men, right? And he was pretty open about it too. Um, but he didn't he was kind of in that situation where he didn't have anywhere else to go. He didn't have anything else. Like he had no social network outside of that. And I remember he tried leaving several times. Um, I had actually talked to him a couple of years ago too, and he had moved somewhere else in the state, but he was still a witness, ended up marrying a woman and settling down in the church. But because they, he was kind of like, well, either I can have this or I can have this. And there was no resolving those two things for him. Um, and so he stayed in, but he was, he was definitely gay or he was maybe by, you know, somewhere in the thing, but he had gotten in trouble for it several times with the church and was very open about his feelings about it, but kind of decided he wanted to stay with the church. Um, and then there was this kid I grew up with uh, that left soon after I did. Um, and now I think he's an exotic dancer out West and he is flamboyantly gay and I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, no, he's, he's all about it. He's, he's all about it now. Yeah, no. be himself, <laughs> which he could never do in the church. Right. Which is, it's sad too because you know i think 
I think he would have stayed in the church if he could have lived the life that he wanted to only in that aspect, right? He was okay with everything else. He was okay with going to church 400 times a week. He was okay with the studying. He was very pro about it, but you know, being gay was more important to him as it should be. And the church wouldn't being allow himself. him yeah. being, yeah, That's being himself. Way. And it was like, the church wouldn't allow, the church wouldn't resolve that part. Right. Mm-hmm. Like they, they kind of make you choose. And it's like, <sighs> there's, there's so many things. You have to fit inside a box. It sounds like it's a very oh, yes. small, tight box. Yeah, and if very you don't fit small, in that, tight you are box. You need put to in be... front of the council and they get right. to judge you. And yeah, that's just crazy to me that they can like dig in and like you're a 14 year old boy. Like, did you masturbate? What did you do? How did you do that? Like, did you come? Like asking you all of those questions, like that just doesn't seem necessary and appropriate have no obligation to go to the police for any sort of abuse cases that get brought before them. Um, And imagine, okay, so I was a boy talking to men, but what if I had been a 14 year old girl? And again, remember women are not allowed leadership roles and you can't have anybody else in there with her. So it would be a girl in a room with two or three old men having to describe in intimate detail all of her sins, I'll put quotation marks around that, with no support system whatsoever. And it's like, that's kind of very inappropriate as well. And then they have um, one thing that they get criticized for a lot too, is they have this two witness rule. So two witness in like literal witness, like visible witness, not like Jehovah witness Mm -hmm. um, where if, if there is an accusation brought forth by someone, if there's not two witnesses, so the victim plus another person, they won't even consider that as a, as a, a valid accuser victim scenario, right? If there's not two witnesses, it didn't happen. It's up to God to judge. So if somebody says they are raped, but nobody else was around or saw it. Right. It doesn't That's, matter. Doesn't matter. Wow. Which is, I mean, they get a lot of that because it's like, well, I'm not going to bring a show, right? Like I'm not just. Well, yeah. Somebody who's abusing, like physically, sexually, verbally, whatever it is. Like a lot of times you're trying to hide that. You're not. Right. I'm not, I'm not bringing a crowd with me, yeah. you know? So it, yeah, unless, so there's either a confession or there was two witnesses and anything less than that is like, well, yeah, we'll listen to you, but they won't sort of bring any, any charges. And by charges, I don't mean any sort of secular authority. I just mean inside the church, they won't do anything about it beyond mm-hmm. that. Um, and you would never go to the police because that's outside. And no, no, they are. The devil they are, and that's going to be really big issues. They are specifically directed to bring even, even serious things like child abuse or spousal abuse. They're supposed to bring it to the elders in the church. 
not go to the police. And then the elders are to decide what to do with it then. And then even then they don't have to report it to the police. Do they ever? Like, do you ever remember them reporting stuff to the police or um, they kind of deal with it on their own and keep it closed? So there was, there have been several. Um, there is one pretty famous example from, I think it was 2015 in Australia where there was a court case brought against the witnesses, which so like their organization is called uh, Watchtower. Um, and it was something like 1800 child sex abuse victims with over like a thousand perpetrators that and zero had been brought to the police. Um, and they sort of bulk charged this because you would think they would be better at hiding it, but they had sent like the, the organization had sent this memo to all of the congregations saying, you know, if you've reviewed these types of cases, send us back a list of who it was, who it was against, what position this person held, you know, and then they just saved it in Excel sheet and put it in their documents folder and never looked at it again. But this got um, subpoenaed in one of these court cases. And then they used that information to sort of blanket this huge case uh, against the society in this was Australia, but they've settled tons of cases. There was one in Anaheim, California in 2013, 15 or 17. I looked up some of these stories and all the dates are kind of mixed for me. I'm sorry. They settled for like 13 and a half million dollars. And there was, I want to say there was like 70 some victims that had been brought in like this series of cases. Uh, no, it's a huge thing. And absolutely zero of them get taken to the police through like the, the judicial committee, like through the elders, through the part of it. I don't know. Go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh, I was going to say that like, there's, um, I don't know what the qualification for them to go to the police is, but it's, doesn't sound like I don't one. think uh, maybe they murdered them. I'm not really sure right. if there's anything yeah. less than that where they would actually take it to the cops on their own. Wow. And then they just determine you get a slap on the hand, basically, and that's it. I think they're kind of like priests. I think they tell you to move congregations and then you just kind of start with and a sleep, clean slate. Else. Yeah, and the plate and oh, problem just disgusting. starts all over again. It's I've said a lot of negative things about it because I mean, there are, frankly, there's a lot of negative things to say, <laughs> but with everything there's positives as well. With everything there's positives. I think there are a lot of good, well-meaning people that are in this and they overwhelmingly are kind of in it for the right reasons too, right? Like they don't have any, decision-making with the governing body. They're not 
claiming to be the voice of Jesus. They're not, you know, going out and slapping LGBT stickers on things like they're they're just good people. They go to church. They study the Bible. They love their grandkids. Right. Like they they're good people. I think they're good people. I think they're good people, but they are in just a vicious, horrible cycle and organization that kind of poisons their members, right? Like they're just the Kool-Aid, the Kool-Aid. And now, you know, it's like you, I have a decent relationship with my parents and my parents are very much still witnesses how long did that take did did you always have a relationship with oh, them no or... okay. <laughs> oh god um so after after i left i had zero relationship with my parents for probably at least four years four to five years of no communication, no support. 18-year-old me was working, trying to afford a one-bedroom apartment, crashing on people's couches because my support system just fell out. College payments, nope, just gone, right? Like any, I had no money, no sort of, mom, can I come home and get this? You're starting from scratch. I remember selling my PlayStation for gas money one week because I just, like I had to go to work and I didn't have any money um and four or five years of absolutely zero contact um after that there was some time where my parents assumed that I was coming back right they're like well you know he's misguided he made a mistake he'll figure it out so they were sort of holding their breath waiting for me to come through the door bible in hand begging to come back you know i was like well okay um and so there was a long time of that too maybe a year or two of that of just like this tentative relationship where we had started to discuss back and forth um we kind of had some some timid conversations, but it always it was like you could set a timer to it. You be the platitudes, the starting out, the hi, how you doing, and then just bam, Bible, right? Like, oh, here's a scripture. Have you read this one? You know, have you, have you thought about how bad of a sinner you are, son? You know, <laughs> like it just it inevitably turned to shit every time. Um, and so it was like you would try to start to build that foundation, and then it would just fall apart. So there would be a couple months of not talking because they would get super pushy about it. Then our relationship, it was like every time we started to get closer, they would wait for this defining moment and then be like, bam, religion. You know, I was like, I don't, I don't want to talk about this, you know? Mm-hmm. And there was, it was on both sides though. I think there was a lot of negativity on both sides. It was not, it was not just them and it was not just me. There was a lot of kind of hostility kind of going back and forth on that because they don't, they didn't understand, right? They were, they had been in for so long that they were just 
they didn't understand how I could be so stupid or so like oblivious. They're like, don't you know you're going to die? Don't you know Armageddon is coming tomorrow? Don't you know that Jesus still loves you, right? Like they just, it was unfathomable to them to think that I wouldn't be a witness. Like if I wasn't being a witness, I was just acting out or rebelling. I didn't really have no interest in not being a witness. I just wanted to cause them harm or something. Um, it took a very long time for them to kind of a accept that I'm not going to be a witness, right? I'm not going to give them shit for being a witness. We, I talked to my mom pretty frequently. She actually came to my wedding. Um, but there's always sort of that layer under the surface where we, we talk now, you know, she'll tell me how the dogs are doing or, you know, the horse is doing this or she sold something on eBay. Right. But it, we've learned to navigate that. We don't really talk about religion. We don't really talk about the witnesses. We just sort of avoid it in as much that not necessarily, she wouldn't tell me, you know, like, Oh, my cousin got married or something like that, but we don't discuss the, the particulars of being a witness and the few mistakes or the few times we have made that mistake, it almost immediately turns to hostility. Almost hostility might be the word for it because it's like, they're so entrenched, right? It's not like my parents are kind of like half witnesses that don't, you know, like the sort of uh, token Catholics, you know, they're not really Catholic. They say they're Catholic, but they're not really Catholic. Now, my parents are, are witnesses. That is their life. That is who they describe themselves as. They go to all the church meetings. They go out in service. Like, they are witnesses. Um, the most rebellious thing about my parents is that they still talk to me and still have a relationship with me. And that was sort of, I think that was something that my mother in particular was not willing to abide by by the church's designation or like you know they weren't she wasn't willing to do that um i think initially she was and i think that was she was very angry about it but now it's it's relatively even keel i would say mm -hmm. that's that's good it sounds like it was a long journey to get there but you guys figured it out um so with everything there's always good that comes to right and there's a lot of, you know, maybe negative things within the church, but what are some like three things that you feel growing up in the church, um, gave you, um, like skills or something that you've learned and, and kept from the church that has helped you in life? Yeah. Well, I know a lot about the Bible. That's <laughs> trivia so I, I mean, yeah maybe trivia, there's nothing but bible trivia no um i so they do uh these meetings that we had talked about right um so sections of these meetings are student talks is what they're called and there are topics so you could be assigned like a topic right so they might say we need you to talk about Job and they'll give you like a, a 
chunk of Bible verses to use as a reference, and then you have to come up with a talk on it. Essentially, it you know it could be um, there's different lengths of them, but sometimes they'll be like just five minutes or fifteen minutes, and you would have to go and research this material, put together uh, essentially talking points, and then get up in front of 150 people and give your findings. Um, so I'm a decent public speaker because <laughs> I, I got all the uh, the dry throat and the the swallowing a lot out of the way when I was you know 10 years old because this that was kind of the thing, right? Like you would get assigned to talk um, and you would have to get up in front of, yeah, 100, 150 people and talk on what you had researched. You know, they would give you, this is what we want you to research and you would have to go. So doing the research on your own, putting together talking points and bullet points, picking out sort of relevant material and giving a presentation on it. I feel like I kept that. I think I'm decent at it. Um, sparking up conversations with people in public, not as much, but to the lesser degree that you had to go out and knock on people's doors for every single week, my entire childhood, you got used to talking to strangers. You got kind of used to having to set up and initialize a friendly conversation with somebody that you have absolutely no bearing with and get them to sort of converse back with you. Um, I think that's a very important skill to have that you can kind of yeah. spark yeah, up a conversation in relation yeah. with people. So um, let's see. And a third thing. I don't know. I'd have to think about it. The other two came to me pretty quick, but it won't be That's another okay. skill. I'll, I'll keep pondering it in the those back are, of my head. Those are two good skills. But I mean, <laughs> public speaking is one that a lot of people don't have. So to get that from such a young age, not only public speaking, but creating a speech like TEDx, here you come. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No kidding. Could How I left my cult. That could be your TEDx speech. Oh, um, yeah, well, this has been great chatting with you. Is there anything else that you feel to share in this moment before I ask you the final few questions? I don't think so. So if people wanted to connect with you, how could they do that? Well, as I don't have any social media, I did say email would be okay. Do you want me to just say my email on here? Yeah. Uh, so wwales822 at gmail.com is just my email account. It's wwales822 at gmail.com um, or LinkedIn. We'll link that in the show notes too. So Okay. All right. Cool. Yeah. No, that would be it. I, you know, like I really don't know if anybody's going to reach out, but you never it would know. be interesting. I, if one person, is like, wow, yeah, I'm in a cult. <laughs> I need to get out. How do I get out? I will give you all the tips in the world. <laughs> well, let's let's give me three tips right now. What are the first first few things you need to do if you find yourself in a situation like this and realize it's going to get better? 
it's like the first couple of years are definitely the hardest, you know, realize that the world is not that scary of a place. There are a lot of loving, wonderful, kind people out there that are willing to sort of give selflessly, right? And be kind to other people. It's not as bad as it sounds like it's not the world is not a terrible place the world is an awesome place it's a wonderful place filled with amazing people and you should get out and get to know them um and kind of be be willing to let go of everything in your life like part of that it's it's not like a rebirthing or anything quite that spiritual but it is I literally had to start from scratch. I could have rolled out of the womb an 18-year-old, and I essentially was starting with the same amount of resources I had. <laughs> you know, like there, you have nothing. Um, it's very tough, but it does get better. It's totally worth it. There are tons of support kind of venues out there. Um Reddit in particular has XJW, which is meant for people that are trying to leave or freshly leaved and don't have anyone to talk to or anyone to talk or ask questions to. Um, but yeah, there is support, there is help, there are people out there, and they're totally normal. Excellent. And what is your current motto or mantra? Be the kind person. If you could tell every single person in this world one thing, what would it be? Oh, I thought of something totally non-PC, but I'm not going to say that. You can say it. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> um, what is one thing I would want everyone on this world to hear? Oh, you could have had me prep for this. Yeah, I think just, I mean, be kind to other people. It's nothing is so serious that you have to kill someone over it or screw someone else over to get ahead. Like the world would be a much better place. Everyone just thought of other people once in a while and was willing to help out their fellow man. Like we are all people on the same planet. Get over yourself. <laughs> we're all in this together and we're not getting out alive, right? Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and thank you all for listening until next time. If you enjoyed this episode or found value in it, I invite you to like, leave a five-star review, or share with a friend. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Thank you, beautiful human, so much for helping spread the word. Blessings to you. Until next time.